Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts in movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So Nathan, what is in the news docket today? This isn't so much news, but there's a YouTube channel that did something so cool that I just have to call it out. Oh, what's that? Have you heard of the Hacksmith? No, I can't say that I have. All right, the Hacksmith is a bunch of people with engineering degrees using their engineering to make the most nerdy things. And guess what nerdy thing they have recently made and put out on their channel? What's that? A functional working plasma-based lightsaber oh yeah <laughs> i think i saw something come up for me on my newsfeed on this i heard that it's fully functional right that it's supposed to be dangerous see in the past they've made proto lightsabers that have a high density metal core so they can heat it up to insane temperatures but they don't retract they just heat up glow red slicey dicey this one they use a combination of propane and oxygen to create a plasma flow that would extend to the length of a lightsaber blade. Burns about 4,000 degrees. Really cool looking. Addition in the hilt of an additional element allows it to change the color from blue to green, yellow, or red. It can cut through a lot of stuff, as, as you can imagine. Nice. The only downside is it doesn't have any kind of solid structure to it, so you can't lightsaber duel with it yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is just one step closer to a real lightsaber. Plus, their uh, power pack only lasts for about five minutes. But still, baby steps. Yeah. We're getting there. Right. <laughs> just a little bit at a time. I love the fact that people are still trying to do this, you know? Even in today, they just won't stop creating a lightsaber. That's like the ultimate weapon that I feel like all these nerds are trying to create. This is great. Something else that caught my attention, and this is a kind of nerdy, but kind of, I'll let you be the judge. A teenage computer genius has been beified by the Catholic Church. What? Basically, beified means the Catholic Church has recognized that at least one miracle has been performed by him. By doing what? He lived in Italy through intercession he miraculously cured a Brazilian boy of a rare disease. Okay. Connecting the Brazilian boy to the power of Jesus and God and all of that. And then miraculously, his disease turned around and was cured. Okay. But yeah, he was a computer genius. Learned and programmed websites and a bunch of other stuff. Created a means of tracking both current and historical Eucharistic miracles that is being used worldwide by the Catholic Church now. It's kind of cool. Huh. Interesting. If they can confirm maybe one, maybe two more uh, miracles performed in his name, he could become the patron saint of computer hackers. <laughs> At least Catholic computer hackers. I think it's a fun and it's it's a nice memory recognizing his skill and and yeah, it's tragic he passed away so at such a young age, but Yeah. That's terrible. It's always nice to see young minds being recognized in any way that we can. And maybe he might inspire someone else to reach new heights as well. Yeah, for sure. Here's uh, another unheard of thing to have happened. Did you ever watch the show Dexter? No, I know of it, but I never watched it. A lot of fans were never quite satisfied with how the show ended. And it's been off the air for, don't remember exactly when the final season aired, but it's been a while. But they just picked it up for one more season of 10 episodes. Interesting. I didn't think that they would do that. Because last I checked, the show was 
done, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they wrapped up all the loose ends. I mean, people weren't happy with how they wrapped them up, but all the loose ends were wrapped up. Yeah. So, not really sure where these next 10 episodes are going to be going with this. That's really bizarre. Is it confirmed that it's a continuation of the series, or is it going to be a prequel of some sort? Like, no? Yeah, it's being referred to as a limited series revival featuring michael hall back reprising his role as dexter that's really interesting really interesting i don't know and who's picking it up again showtime okay which i believe was the original production channel but yeah it's this was something that came out of nowhere for me i'm like what i never expected to see more dexter ever like not even a movie or say they just it was done in the rearview mirror yeah and all of a sudden out of nowhere it's like by the way 10 new episodes i mean i guess that's probably a good thing for the really diehard dexter fans right who really weren't happy with it and maybe they get to see a worthy conclusion to the series for people like me who I haven't seen it I'm like okay cool it's cool I guess but I didn't ask for <laughs> for more of this <laughs> yeah I wasn't asking for it but here it is here it is all right jumping on to casting news a couple of casting news that have been coming off such as Zochil Gomez joining Marvel's upcoming Doctor Strange sequel hmm where have we seen that actor? She's had a number of minor roles, but it's another example of Marvel picking up a relatively no-name actor, putting them into more of a spotlight. And people are kind of, again, I think a lot of people are expecting a lot from her because there's more and more evidence with some of their casting choices that Marvel might be leaning towards a young Avengers for the next team up. Hmm. So probably haven't seen it, but what she was most recently in is she got a lead role in the revival of the Babysitter's Club. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I haven't seen that one, but I know of it. But yeah, I mean, and adding to the rumors of Marvel casting young actors, rumor is they are actively looking for a young African-American actor to play Miles Morales. Wow. That's really cool. Miles Morales. So I'm curious to see how they're going to incorporate this and how far in the future we're looking into this kind of stuff. Well, that's the weird thing is because remember last, I think it was last week we talked about who was the main Avenger showing up in Spider-Man 3. Doctor Strange. Exactly. So we have confirmation that Doctor Strange is in Spider-Man 3. We know Doctor Strange is the multiverse of madness. Mm -hmm. Rumor is coming out that they're casting in a Miles Morales. There's the rumor that... Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are being asked to reprise their Spider-Man roles. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's going on? Are we actually going to get a live action into the Spider-Verse out of the MCU? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, right? That's a really good question. It's really interesting to see all of these pieces starting to move in together, but I don't really know if Into the Spider-Verse is going to be a strictly Disney property or a strictly Sony property, right? Because that kind of dictates where this is all going to go. If the Miles Morales cast is under a Sony production or a Disney production. Yeah, although I tell you what, if we get word that Nick Cage is going to be reprising his role in Spider-Man 3, I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's just going to cinch it. <laughs> right? Exactly. And I think that's why it's so important to know, right? If whether it's going to be Sony and Disney going at this together or if it's just going to be Sony going at this. Speaking about new live action movies, DC is coming up with a new live action movie 
and they have cast Michael B. Jordan as the director. The director? Yeah. Has Michael B. Jordan done any director roles before? Not that I can think of. It's interesting because I actually recently watched a an actors-to-actors conversation between him and I think it was Charlize Theron who had this great conversation back and forth. And I think in that conversation, he did bring up his interest in directing. So I think it's interesting that that now you mention him as that is joining this movie as a director. I'm actually very curious now. I'm interested. I'm really interested because, I mean, one, I think he's a great actor. So, I mean, yeah, he was in the terrible fan stick movie. But he did a good job with what he was given. And he did a great job as Killmonger. So I'm like, he's a good actor. How good is he going to be in the director's chair? Right, exactly. And, you know, those positions, sometimes they can ebb and flow really well back and forth. But sometimes they're not, right? Sometimes the acting experience doesn't translate well into a directing experience. So we'll see what he's going to do. I'm Again, I'm very curious. I'm optimistic. And another aspect that kind of has me excited about this project, uh-huh. the subject of this DC superhero movie was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. In the late 90s. Oh, which one? Static Shock. Nice. <laughs> nice. I don't know what it was about Static Shock, but I really enjoyed it. At that time, if you were to ask my two favorite superheroes, it would have been Iron Man and Static Shock. All right. Cool. So it's exciting. Well, yeah. I mean, it was. that's why it bugs me every time everyone's like, wow, BMCU did so great with this no-name superhero Iron Man. I'm like, shut up. He wasn't no-name. He was the best. <laughs> <laughs> I knew of him before he was cool. <laughs> I would love it if this was the turnaround point for the DC movies. If this became the, the breaking point, everyone would be like, I didn't know who Static Shock was, but man, now it's the greatest series of superhero movies ever with Static Shock at the lead. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know that we talked about DC before and, and how much we wish they could do better. They could be better at this universe that they're trying to build, right? And I think that they are moving in a direction where the standalone mentality of DC films tends to do better as a whole strategy to producing movies because that's where their strength lies. I don't know what, what they're lacking internally, but I know that they're not able to completely design a universe. Yeah, they're missing that cohesive vision that maintains a standard universe from movie to movie and you keep getting these conflicting projects in the end. Exactly. And so I think that the strength, I think, on DC lies in making these movies independent from each other in terms of setting up a cohesive universe like Nathan is talking about. And you know what? The DC TV shows on CW, they interconnect all of these shows. So well. Even the ones that are happening not even in the same universe, they connect them well. Right? It's like, that's what DC needs to do. Is like, whatever you are doing right about your TV shows. Exactly. Just take that into a movie scale. I think they will be successful if they did that, if they focus exclusively on this is the world of Flash and it has a way different feel than Arrow. But somehow they, they both work really well together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a testament to how well the CW shows have done and and how poorly the DC movies have done. Uh, last note on casting choices. Have you heard of Joe Taslim? No, I have not heard of Joe Taslim. Well, he's a star of The Raid Redemption and the Warrior Season 2. But he's also been cast as Sub-Zero in the Mortal Kombat remake. Interesting. And not only that, in an interview, he said this 
Mortal Kombat is going to be, quote, the most violent action movie and it is promising fans a rated r movie wow this is interesting on two levels one i did not know that he was going to be in the next mortal kombat reboot movie but also i had no idea that there was going to be a mortal kombat reboot movie well everything else cross your fingers they're looking at starting filming early next year so nice that's really cool. So I guess that fits in really well with the topic of today's episode, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been 25 years since they tried to take one of the most violent video games of the day and turn it into a PG-13 family kung fu movie. <laughs> yes. And this is, of course, the original Mortal Kombat was released or premiered on August 18th of 1995. This was a pretty big deal for the 90s. We were still trying to find our footing and everybody knew that someday video game movie adaptations would be the big thing. And they were gung-ho at trying to prove that they had figured out the formula. Yes. And let's be honest, <laughs> they're still working on that formula. You know, and that's the thing, right? 25 years later, we still haven't nailed down on what that formula really is for video game movies when you think about it. Well, I mean, the whole thing is we always have to remember movies and video games are vastly different genres and mediums for portraying a story. Yes. That makes it extremely hard to really tell a story. I mean, the original Mortal Kombat game, you would play through the tournament, but there was no real story given other than a little blurb about your character you chose's choice for entering the tournament. If you succeed at winning with that character, you get a little blurb at the end about what happens after he wins the tournament. Right. That was the extent of the story. Just basically, you choose a character, you got a paragraph at the beginning and a paragraph at the end. <laughs> exactly. And someone was like, I could turn that into a movie. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing, right, is that I feel like it's not until the last couple years now that I think about that we've actually gotten some pretty decent video game adaptations. And I'm talking about Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. And Castlevania. Well, yes, but Castlevania is a TV series, though. So I feel like... Well, okay, yeah, I suppose. Well, let's keep it on movies. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Detective Pikachu came across as a video game adaptation that was pretty true and accurate to the idea of creating a world of Pokemon. Right. Sonic the Hedgehog wasn't particularly true to the Sonic video games, but was right. pretty well done in the terms of trying to say, bring the character of the video game into a real world setting. Exactly. And I feel like both of those movies really succeeded in making sure that the adaptation of the video games didn't feel like we were watching the video game itself, right? And I feel like that is what these movies were really trying to capture. You don't even have to go that far back to the 90s. I mean, just think about more recent movies, you know, that came out in the mid-aughts, like Doom, for example, <laughs> right? I mean, Doom was set in such a way that it was like watching a video game. And they were still so caught up in that mentality, even all the way, you know, 10 years later, because... This one came out in the 90s when we were still trying to figure it out. So I think that's what makes this movie a fun watch in my mind is because this is, was like the origins of video game movies, right? The origins of these adaptations. And we were trying all of these different techniques and tricks to try to see what actually landed. I think that's what made this movie so much fun for me to go back and watch and experience this 
movie again with what I know about movies now as an adult. I thought it was fun. I really had a good time with this. This is a fun movie because, like, you hear that Mortal Kombat theme song. I mean, how does that not make you want to get up and start punching and fighting for your (laughs) fate of the universe, man? I mean, it's like, it really engages you in the soundtrack and the composition of the movie. And granted, a lot of that was taken from the video game, but it was used pretty well. Absolutely was used pretty well. I mean, the soundtrack, not always, though. I will have to say, there, there are certain choices of music in certain parts that I was like, why are you playing this here? This doesn't make sense. But for the most part, I felt like the soundtrack and the score really complemented a lot of the action sequences in particular. Really well done with that and keeping the pacing and the rhythm of the scene, right, in the fighting sequences, which I think that brought a really good thing to this movie and it's what made this movie so great in you know in that respect the action part of this movie is what made it so great in my mind is and the way that the score complemented that was really great i mean admittedly a lot of the action parts some of it is cheesy a lot of it has special effects that did not age well at all <laughs> not at all <laughs> i mean this wasn't too far off from us having dinosaurs being brought back to life man i mean is that really the best you can do for a freeze effect you know what though i I will say that the best special effects was definitely for Sub-Zero. There were certain elements that they brought in, especially with the lighting and the shadows in certain areas that I was watching. I'm like, oh my God, that's actually not bad what they were able to do. And you can kind of tell that that's where most of the budget went was for Sub-Zero and Scorpion because Reptile was just not even remotely close to being anywhere near (laughs) (laughs) as for realistic at all. And the thing is, though, if people are wondering, well, it was the mid-90s, what could they have done about on time? Jurassic Park had already been out by the time this movie came out. So, no. If Jurassic Park can make dinosaurs look really real... Right. You can make a reptile look, you look real. real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, the use of reptile was kind of an interesting choice because the original Mortal Kombat game, I don't know if you remember, reptile was nothing more than a bonus character that was extremely difficult to even achieve access to. And his moveset was basically Sub-Zero and Scorpion combined with about twice the speed. Yes. He was an incredibly difficult opponent to beat in that first one. It wasn't until the later games that it was really developed as his own character. So I do actually find his inclusion to be a little bit of a of a risky choice, especially since the way they chose to include him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. I mean, when I was a kid and I watched this movie, I thought it was the coolest thing, though. <laughs> I thought it looked, oh my God, look how real it looks. And now I'm like, no, this, this is garbage. <laughs> this is... This is absolutely did not this did not age well. I don't know, that's, that's terrible. But that's a really interesting character choice to include for sure. I thought that they were going to include other more popular characters than what we actually got. I will say though, I want to ask actually, what was your favorite fight in this whole movie? A lot of the things that kind of got to me about the fights is very few of them really captured that one-on-one combat tournament aspect that I think I was really expecting from a Mortal Kombat movie because so many times they're setting up these fights and it was this random no-name person that you're like, well, (laughs) who cares? I mean, I know, right? First time we see Sub-Zero fight, it's just random mook from the 
crowd <laughs> decides to fight him and it's over in like two seconds because he gets frozen shat. He basically Indiana Jones him. Exactly. And the first time we see Goru fight. Why are everyone so sad that this guy died? I mean, yeah. Did we even know who this guy was at this point? All of the other characters were like, you're a best friend. But the audience is like, wait, who was the guy again? I, I don't remember him. I remember seeing him like at the docks. And then in that scene. How dare he die? <laughs> that was so brutal. He was our best friend. Right. Exactly. Who was he? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and so like a really great fight. I like the fight, but it didn't fit with the Mortal Kombat was when they were teaming up and fighting against the horde of these masked shirtless ninja guys. Right. And take them all out and like, at least they're all down and then like turn around and all of a sudden, there's another huge mass of them showing up. I thought that was a great fight, cinematography-wise, choreography-wise, but it doesn't fit. Like, you never team up, you never fight this massless horde. So it's like, I liked it, but it didn't fit to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you on that. I think the fight was trying to serve, showing the audience that they are a team. Remember? Raiden says so. We have to give them some kind of fight scene where they're actually fighting as a team because so far we've only seen them fight individually. That's what it was trying to show, but I feel like you're right. It was trying to do it. But you're right. I think it failed in the sense that it just didn't fit. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of really weird, strange transitions in this film. And I think that the editing was just not really great. I felt like there were sudden changes and sudden shifts in tonality even within the film. Well, with the editing, we've talked about action sequences and the choices for making cuts between one action to another yes <laughs> this one was so weird because they kept randomly shifting trying to do a point of view shot from either the person attacking or the person getting attacked it was just Every single time, it was just so jarring and weird. Okay, I will say this, though. If you want to get really drunk, take a shot every time they cut to those close-up shots, and you'll be drunk super quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every other scene or every other sequence, there was those shots, and it was just not great. Especially when there were other movies at the time, you know, from the 90s that Jackie Chan was doing as working on and how amazing the choreography is in those movies, right? And how they show contact at all times. I don't like it when it's about to make contact from like a distance. You see the two stunt people fight and one of them is about to make contact with the other and then the camera just shifts to like a close-up of the face and the fist punching the face, right? And all that. And I feel like I don't like having my action interrupted by those shots. And I swear they were using more than one stunt actor for the uh, mass characters, <laughs> yeah. especially Reptile. Because when they're in Outworld and Reptile comes up into the body of the statue and starts fighting in the traditional green garb, there is a scene where he's doing pretty well from a martial arts perspective. His form is more or less on point. And then all of a sudden they cut to, I guess... This weird angle, not even a point of view shot, just this weird angle. It looked like Reptile is running across the room, waving his hands like he's playing to scratch your eyes out with his nails. I'm just like, what the heck was that? 
<laughs> exactly. It just doesn't make sense. I'm like, it's like oh, they must have just had, randomly had some other extra on scene. Be like, okay, we're putting you in the reptile suit today, so um, we need you to run at the camera, looking intimidating, like you're going to attack. <laughs> and the guy had like zero practical expertise on Shane how to do this. And just like, <laughs> whatever, that'll do it. That's good enough. <laughs> Cut the check. <laughs> yeah, right. So for me, my favorite fight in this entire movie was the fight between Scorpion and Johnny Cage. That fight sequence was great. There were very little of those close-up shots of them hitting each other, which is amazing. And there were a couple of shots where they actually made actual contact with each other. And you can tell that they actually made contact with each other. And I feel like they really gave it their all, both of those two actors. That was just amazing. And I was just kept looking at it. It's like, oh my God, this fight is actually really good. And so go back, compare all of these fight sequences, and you would notice a very big difference in terms of the choreography for that particular fight versus every other fight. It was really well done. Whoever that director and choreographer was great job for that scene because that was amazing actually i find it funny that you had just previously mentioned jackie chan and then that's the scene that you really like because when i saw that scene my thought was man this could be so much better if they got jackie chan to be scorpion (laughs) yeah and here's the reason why i don't know if you know this but jackie chan is actually a master with a martial arts weapon called a meteor hammer i don't know that weapon what that weapon is it's basically a heavy weight on a long stretch of rope in the game that's functionally what scorpions get over here move is right right except instead of just being a heavy weight it's a hook that's on it right if they were to get jackie chan and give him a meter hammer with a hook and using that instead of that weird cgi snake thing coming out of his hand that would have looked amazing yes if they went with a practical effect right rather than a digital effect i think that would have been really cool if he actually tried to manipulate that in a way that would act more as a rope, right? As, as you trying to lasso someone back to you. But also, like, in a Mortal Kombat way, it'll be like, it'll impale you, hook you basically from the inside and drag you over to... <laughs> to... Or even if it was like a hook that he, you know, got behind and when he pulled back, it dug into your back. And again, hopes for the more violent rated R remake that they might be able to really deal with the fact of these weapons and such right that was the weird aspect for me is like your main characters your sonia your johnny k these actors were portraying more or less realistic fighting scenes yes they would throw in the video game moves just like once like when sonia's fighting kano and she does her handstand grab him by the neck and then flip him video game move not very practical they did it once it didn't look that great. But the rest of the time, she's punching, kicking in a very practical manner. Right. Same with all the other characters, right? But then you have Scorpion and Sub-Zero that they're just like, yeah, these are random fights and magical powers and everything else. That's just the juxtaposition of like, they never tried to do any kind of transition or balance between what was fantastic and what was realistic, I think, is the was the problem. Exactly, yeah. That separation from these characters being in a place where they could, for example, show those more mystical or superhuman abilities of them that, that would make them be on a more, on the same level as the Scorpion and Sub-Zero characters. In terms of them being 
like capable of fighting each other on an equal footing, right? Because again, like you said, it's the mixing the real versus the the superhero stuff, right? And I think that this movie kind of failed in kind of balancing that act. Yeah, there wasn't really any balance between the two. So, I mean, it was just occasionally they did get their special move in, but it was just so back and forth and just not really incorporated. Every time it just felt out of place when you got something that was so fantastic. But even from the main cast, like all of a sudden, you know, oh yeah, he's doing this move from the game where he flies across the screen, kicking him multiple times. All the other attempts to make him very grounded in his martial arts made that fantastic thing look extremely bad. Right, exactly. And I think it's because the bad guys or, or the villains of this story, like Sub-Zero and Scorpion, constantly showcase their powers. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that we didn't get that same treatment for the hero characters is what made that whole balancing act a lot more difficult some of the fights were just wrapped up like just way too easy oh how do you defeat his ice powers oh i know using water to kill him with ice what (laughs) no come on yeah also i don't even know why sub-zero would use that attack anyway you know like i figure he would just freeze him well i mean what was he doing at that moment trying to charge up a kamehameha or something he was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gathering his power make a bubble of ice around him it's just like i think he's just trying to freeze the entire room but like if water could pierce through that whole event that was happening then anything could have so looking technically didn't have to throw new water he could have thrown anything at him and it would have technically interrupted that whole flow of things if the guy with ice powers can't stop a spear of ice coming at him what's to make him stop anything else he picked up to throw at him <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly such a letdown this is why i like the scorpion versus johnny cage fight i mean the way it ended it was a little anticlimactic but everything else up until that moment was actually pretty good i do like at the end them dropping the picture to my greatest fan yeah (laughs) i know completely out of place that picture came from nowhere it was so key to his fatality in the video game i'm like it's all good that's like the best inclusion from the video game to the movie that they did in this entire thing (laughs) right oh yeah It was so cheesy and so corny, but it was so great. (laughs) (laughs) So my favorite moment of this movie, by the way, or the funniest moment in this movie for me was when they were at the ship, right? And then Raiden just saved them from Scorpion and Sub-Zero, I think. And then Raiden is just like, come with me. And then he turns to lightning and then leaves. And I'm like, where are you going, though? <laughs> How are they supposed to follow that? How are we going to know? And I just started laughing at that scene because I'm like, that made no sense. I mean, it looked cool, but it made no practical sense at all. <laughs> and also, why was his lightning powers blue when he's attacking Sub-Zero, but orange when he's attacking Scorpion? Did he just like customize the color of his lightning just to indicate like this is sub-zero by the way and i'm gonna beat him with an orange glow because that's his favorite color and (laughs) (laughs) well you had that backwards but (laughs) oh yeah no scorpion or one of the few story arcs that you got from the video game scorpion and sub-zero being bitter enemies yeah thrown away with a line of exposition oh these are bitter enemies but under my control they are my slaves that's how you're gonna override their hatred for each other seriously but that's 
that's another thing, right? Is that I feel like what I was really looking forward to, actually, as soon as I saw Scorpion and Sub-Zero appear, when Shansung was showing that sort of demonstration, right? And he was doing that demonstration of the power of Sub-Zero and Scorpion. I thought for a brief moment that those two characters were going to come down the stairs and fight each other. That would have been so cool. I think there was a really big opportunity miss there yeah right that would have been cool yeah they had to adapt it make changes to fit a movie format but the movie format should have been a push of a fight between two people and then a story that leads you to the next fight so like when raiden shows up at the temple and saying oh yeah you're not worthy you're not you ran away from this that should have been a fight between those characters and even in the game there's that one scene where you're fighting in front of a whole bunch of monks that was one of the fight backdrops that would have worked very well as kind of like an example of a preliminary one he defeats raiden raiden admits that he is strong enough to proceed and represent earth in the tournament you just move it forward you know same thing with everything else where they just could have set this up in just much more of a one-on-one this fight has these consequences which leads to this fight which has these consequences which leads to this fight so on and so forth as there are three main characters rise up in the tournament bracket against all these opponents and get to the end where they're fighting Goru and the final fight and all of this. It could have been done for sure. They had the opportunities there but like and as you said it's the same thing when Scorpion and Sub-Zero both came down. It was an opportunity for a fight that would really be representative. Absolutely. I think like they didn't even really get into the first real fight for the quote tournament until a third of the way through the movie. Right and that's what I'm saying. So it's one of those films that we can go back to and definitely criticize it harshly based on like how much better we've gotten at telling stories for these adaptations of film, right? Of properties like video game. Like you were mentioning, Castlevania is a perfect example of what is in my mind the best video game adaptation that we have currently. It's a really great adaptation of a video game. But at the same time, I feel like what this movie got right was in terms of capturing that world of Mortal Kombat, that scenery, that set designs, the attention to detail that they went and put into all of these worlds that they visited, how they did not look and or feel the same. Even within the island, it looked like the island was this humongous world filled with like these incredibly huge caverns and then you have these amazing beaches and then you have volcanoes and stuff and it was this whole like, what is happening? What kind of crazy super world, outer world land have I been brought into? And I feel like this movie really did do a good job at capturing that capturing that essence of what made Mortal Kombat. I mean, it showed this movie was actually incredibly well in the box office for the time. I mean, it was the number one for the weekend. Well, that's the thing that gets me is at the end of the day, they have all these things that they set up. Like Sonya, when she's after Kano, has her partner Jax. But Jax doesn't show up until the second Mortal Kombat game as Sonya's former partner. At the end, they have, oh, we won, but oh no, here's the Emperor coming up to threaten Earth after all. We gotta get ready. We're like, we're gonna be sequel baiting this. 
you watch this movie today, you're like, oh my god, this is so bad. I can't believe they are a sequel <laughs> video this like they actually think they are going to get a sequel. They did. But they did get a sequel. Yes. <laughs> That's how well it did in the theaters. Absolutely. It made $23.2 million. That's nearly eight times the opening amount of the only other new release that weekend, The Babysitter's Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that kind of boomerangs back to our news uh docket exactly i didn't even know that wow it is definitely the seventh highest grossing video game adaptation ever released right i mean sonic and pikachu are you know the number one and two respectively but this movie was for the longest time this was the reigning champion when it came to how much money video game adaptations have made in box office and also by the way on metacritic did you know that this movie Mortal Kombat is sits at the number one spot of highest rated video game adaptation. It beats even Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> wow. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah. All of them don't rely on Metacritic for you to figure out whether or not something is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Metacritic is not a good place for that. It's not, I mean, look at this 58 out of 100. 58 out of 100 is not great. And that beats out Detective Pikachu? Yeah, it does. I do not typically go to Metacritic to look at uh, how it rates. So that is. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. I am incorrect on that. Pikachu and Hedgehog are higher. Oh, okay. But up until those two movies were released, Mortal Kombat was the number one, which tells you how long it's taken for filmmakers to figure out how to make video game adaptations, which kind of brings me to wanting to talk for a little bit about the director, Paul Anderson. Do you know what other movies he's directed? Does the name sound familiar? The name is super <laughs> familiar because I remember seeing that. I'm like, really? He was the one who did this? God, such a letdown. So Paul W.S. Anderson, but at the time he was going by Paul Anderson, also directed the Resident Evil series. And now he's working on the new Monster Hunter movie. And I just can already tell that he's got a very particular style. Yeah, I mean, he was also the one who did the Death Race movies, which his style is definitely portraying all of these to come through. And he has quite a bit of a filmography, actually, in relationship to video game adaptations. Like, he even did DOA. Yeah, they're alive. What's next? His next movie is going to be DOA Volleyball Edition? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? No, but that's the thing. He's got a very particular style of directing and in a certain way to what Zack Snyder is to the comic book genre. Yeah, I can. That's a pretty good. <laughs> right? I kind of get that comparison between the two. <laughs> and that's not to say there's anything bad about it. I mean, I remember the first time I enjoyed probably about nine tenths of the Resident Evil movie, and it was just that last one tenth of the movie that made me suddenly walk out of the theater going, oh man, that was terrible. Exactly. I mean, there's freaking six Resident Evil movies that he directed, which obviously means that people actually were interested in the, his Resident Evil series, which I was up until a certain point, too. Yeah, I don't think I watched all six of them, <laughs> but I want to say I've seen at least the first four. I think I've seen the first four. I haven't not seen, I think, Afterlife, then there's Retribution, 
and then there's the final chapter. I don't think I've seen Afterlife. Extinction was the last one that I saw, if I recall correctly. At a certain point, the Resident Evil movies just kind of started dragging on and not really being properly interconnected as sequels are concerned. So that that's one I'm kind of on board with resetting and rebooting. And- Absolutely. I mean, it's the same with anybody, right? I mean, every director, every every writer is going to bring their own vision and their own style in properties that they're bringing into, right? I mean, that's why the, the Batman is one of those characters that you can really point to as far as every new director that comes in gives it their own style and their own flavor to that character. There's big differences between Burton's Batman and Nolan's Batman, for example, right? But they're the same character. Rise and Fall, I mean, you had Burton who set a certain style and then a few directors started initially what seemed like they wanted to copy Burton's style, but then took it to more fantastical, cartoonish villainy heights. Which may or may not have included nipples. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it goes, brings it back to more of the gothic grittiness that Burton did, but in a completely different way that felt new and fresh and... Modern. Yeah, so all in all, Batman has been very fluid in his the style that they have allowed him to be portrayed in. For sure. And I feel like the Mortal Kombat series, it works in a similar way. I'm excited for this new reboot for that reason, right? It looks like it's going to be a more true to the video game adaptation. It's going to be brutal and violent, and that's exactly what the games are. And I felt like this movie wasn't exactly what the games were, but I can understand why. I mean, they wanted to make sure that as many people sat in the movie theater seats as possible, and the only way to make that happen is when making it a PG-13. I do hope that they manage to balance that special versus practical a lot better. Some of the more recent Mortal Kombat games, you have Sub-Zero using his ice powers to create weapons of ice, right? That's what I want to see. I want to see him pull out a spear of ice or an axe of ice and be stabbing and chopping at his opponent right? until it gets broken and then he uses his ice powers to create a new one or, or creates the one of the iconic moves, even from the early ones, where he creates the floor into ice, slides across it into a sidekick. Yes. Special effects practical attacks that is what i really hope to see and i want that to be true to the games in the level of brutal because remember this game was considered the most violent video game ever when it was released people were like oh my god that's so violent no one's going to play that no one's going to want to play it yeah incredibly popular and it was hugely popular incredibly popular and we also have to thank sega for that sega was the platform where this where this game was released sega were the bad boys at the time they were not following the rules they were trailblazers at the time yeah that's a good point no no remember that the became the sonic movie they had that sega logo that was very reminiscent of the marvel logo like yeah (laughs) with the rings (laughs) they're going to do a sega cinematic universe Oh yes. Is Mortal Kombat going to be in the Sega universe? <laughs> Let's someone do that crossover please. That would be amazing. I want to see Sonic fight Raiden. See who's faster. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, that's the thing. They, they put it into the Sega Cinematic Universe, and since Sega works so closely with Nintendo nowadays, <laughs> they can just really push that all away. And when they have the big crossover movie, it's not going to be an Avengers movie. It's going to be the Super <laughs> Smash Brothers movie. Coming to your next Smash Brothers, Mortal Kombat characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure a lot of you will be like, I'll be cool with that. I want to play a scorpion. <laughs> scorpion versus Mario. That would be a great fight. 
<laughs> All right. So with that, should we jump into a TLDL? Too long, didn't listen. This is the section where we give you our closing thoughts on the movie or TV series that we're talking about. So Nathan, Mortal Kombat 1995 TLDL. Look, there's a lot of things wrong with this movie, but at the end of the day, as long as you're not expecting a movie that has aged well with spectacular special effects <laughs> and an amazing story, <laughs> this movie makes for some good, dumb fun on a rainy saturday afternoon it's a great movie i'm gonna say it's a great movie in the sense that if you are our age if you are from that generation that that's where you grew up playing this is a fantastic movie to watch and even if you aren't if you want to see what early video game movie adaptations looked like this is the best example i can point to when it <laughs> comes to that of the best that we could have done at that time because everything else was garbage this is the best we had <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Dan, with that final question to leave you with, on the scale of Super Mario Brothers to Detective Pikachu, where does Mortal Kombat fall? You know what? I think I want to give Mortal Kombat a solid Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, if you want to tell us what your rating would be, you can definitely tell us on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank Thank you for for listening. listening.